Now, what we have heard this morning, uh, those testimonies that have just come in, testifying of answered prayer. And it is good when prayer is answered. And that is why I want to speak to us about prayer this morning. And we live in an age of, the age that we can call instant age. Now, you want a cup of coffee, there is instant coffee you can get it. You want to ask someone something, you send them a message and instantly the message is delivered and they can reply you back with whatever it is that you are requesting. You want to go out and you are wondering where is, how is the weather going to be like? All you have to do if you have Alexia in your house is just to say, Alexia, how is the weather outside? And instantly Alexia will tell you how the weather is outside. Or maybe you want to drive to London. All you have to do is ask Google, how can I get to London? And instantly Google will tell you how to get to London. Or probably you want to uh, communicate to someone. All you have to do is pick up the phone and ring them, and instantly you get the answer. But when it comes to prayer, it's a whole different issue. We desire that our prayers to be instantly answered when we communicate them to God. But are they? I'll leave that with you. But as you think of your answer, I want to submit to you that actually our prayers are instantly answered by God. So, I'm going to look at a story today or a teaching by Jesus from the book of Luke chapter 11 Uh, from verses 5. Now, let me just put these words in context even before I read them. Uh, Jesus is teaching his disciples about prayer. Now, his disciples have come to him and have asked him, how can we pray or teach us to pray? Now, it amazes me or it surprises me why his disciples will ask him, teach us to pray. Because prayer, if you look at Jesus' teaching, at this early age, you wouldn't highlight it as something that will draw people in, that will draw crowds in, that will draw participation of people desiring, I want to be that. You would have thought that they would have said, teach us how to perform miracles. Teach us how to heal. Teach us how to teach so that all these crowds can follow us the way they follow you. But surprisingly, they asked Jesus, teach us how to pray. And it struck me that there is something in the life of Jesus and how he was praying and how he was leading his life that made these disciples kind of hit the nail on the head and realize that it is only by prayer that Christ is able to do and perform all the works that he was doing. And that, hence, their desire to say that, teach us how to pray. Now, Jesus teaches them how to pray. He teaches them the Lord's Prayer that we all know. Now, I can preach about the Lord's Prayer, but probably you might have heard way too many sermons on the Lord's Prayer. So, when Jesus teaches them about the Lord's Prayer and teaches them about hallowing the name of God and and calling upon his kingdom to come and his will to be established and asking for the daily bread. 
he, he realizes probably that they are not really getting a grip of what he is talking about. So he goes on ahead and illustrates what he is talking about. Now from verse 5, he illustrates by telling them, supposing you have a friend and you have received visitors at the midnight hour and this friend goes on knocking at the neighbor's door, his friend's door, asking for bread. Now, let me just tell you something about the culture in which Jesus is telling this story. This is a culture whereby visitors or welcoming was such a big deal. So when you had a visitor, you had to really look after that visitor. If someone walked into your door, you were primarily responsible for feeding them and for protecting them. This can clearly be seen in the scriptures when we remember in Genesis when Abraham is visited with visitors in the evening hours of the day and he brings them in and they blesses him even as they go in the morning. We can also see Lot when he is in Sodom and Gomorrah, when the, the, the angel of the Lord is coming to destroy the city, God is coming to destroy the city, and he has, come, he has brought in these messengers who came to bring him a message and people are outside saying, bring those men out. We want to sleep with them. But Lord says, I am not going to bring them out. And he even offers these men, his virgin children, just because he wants to protect his visitors. So it is understandable, like this guy that Jesus is talking about in this story, having got a visitor at night, and he doesn't have bread. He is obliged, he is so desiring to minister to his visitor by giving them accommodation and giving them food. But he realizes that he don't have any. So he goes on knocking on the friend's door. But realize also in this culture that at this time around, there wasn't like Sainsbury or Aldi around the corner. So there was nothing this friend could do but actually go to his friend's house to ask. And being a culture whereby everybody will sleep in the same house, a man and his wife and his children and all his animals, he knocks on the door and the man says from inside, go away because my children are in bed. For you here who are, who are parents, you just realize how tough that is. My son goes to bed around between 9 and 11 He's sweet enough to, to sleep through the night. But we are very careful. The moment we lay him down to sleep, we are very careful not to make any sound that will wake him up. So understandably, when this man says to his friend, no, go away, because he has to trample on his children, trample on the animals before he can go open the door. But this friend keeps on knocking. He keeps on knocking and calling out to him. Then this guy inside realizes, unless I wake up and open that door, I'm not going to be just the only one who is going to be woken up. My children are going to wake up. My animals are going to be stirred. And he's going to leave me in a bigger mess than just waking up and giving him the bread. So he gets up and gives him the bread. And Jesus is saying, if that man can wake up and give his friend the bread. You ask whatever you want. You seek whatever you want. You knock on that door. And the heavenly father will give it to you, that of which you ask and seek. And then he goes on to say, 
you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will the Father give the Spirit to those who ask? I'm going to read this text from verse 11. It says, Jesus said to them, Suppose you have a friend and you go to him at midnight and say, Friend, let me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me, the door is already locked and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he, is not, he, is not, he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For anyone who has received, the one who seeks finds. The one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if you ask for an egg, will give, give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? I want to ponder these words in two approaches. I want to approach these words by approaching God with boldness as his friend persisting until you obtain what you need. And I also want to approach this word by approaching God with trust. First, a few things that we need to know about this story. This story, the first thing we need to know is that uh, the necessity drives bold prayer. This man had a need. He recognized that he has a need. His need was to provide for his friend. And he realized that in himself, he cannot provide for that need. So he had a need, and it is the, the, the desire for him to fulfill that need that drove him to go to his friend's house. For us to come to a place of prayer, we need to recognize the need that we have. I'm not talking about a want. We want so many things, but so many at times, we want many things, but we don't recognize the actual need that we have. And by realizing the need that we have, that will be power enough in us to drive us to pray. Just like this guy realizes his desire to satisfy the friend that had visited him. Because most of the time we fail to understand and we have a need and we try to satisfy that need. Because we think that I have in myself what it takes to be able to counter that situation. I have in myself what it takes to be able to get in control of the situation. But we don't have what it takes to be in control of the situation. We need to lay our needs and our desire to God. The second thing in this case, we need in this case, not directly personal, his need was for somebody else. Most of the times, we live in a world of me, me, me. 
It takes a God's heart to realize that it is only just me, but there are other people in this world apart from me. And most of, our, most of the time, our prayers are bombarded with a me, me, me kind of requests. But Jesus here is opening up the scope that don't just look upon yourself, but also look upon others. Because as he started this teaching, he, 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 he preached, or he taught them to pray, your kingdom come. Now, when your kingdom is coming, it's not just coming for me, but it's coming for all that he has created. So that is the desire that he wants us to come. When we pray, when we come before him, we should come with that attitude, your kingdom come to all that are around us. As Paul reminds the Philippian church and tells them, let every one of you esteem others to be better than him. Don't just look upon yourself, but look upon the needs of others too. The third thing I want to draw from this story before we look at the application is that the man already had established friendship before he went to his neighbor's house. This man didn't just rock in the house of a stranger and expected to be given bread. This guy was his friend. He had an established relationship. And for you to be able to bring your prayers and, and petition to God boldly with courage and determination and with faith, you, you really have to have a relationship with God. Now, that doesn't mean that God is not going to push you back or reject you if you don't have a relationship with you. Because he is actually the one who makes the first step towards you. But when he makes that step, the expectation is that you will receive him and then accept him as father and God. And that gives you the basis to say that now you are my father, provide for me. The fourth thing and lastly that I want to draw from this story is that we should recognize the stark contrast between the man in bed and God. Now the man in bed, his attitude to his friend was so bad. Because coming from that culture, he actually knew what it meant for someone to have a visitor and you not to provide for them. But he's behaving very badly by saying that I'm not going to wake up because I am asleep. I'm not going to wake up. That is contrary to who our Father and God is. The Bible tells us that God never sleeps. He's awake 24-7 to hear your prayers, to hear your petition. Every time you come knocking on his door, any time you come banging on his door, he is there. I love the song, Don Moen sang and say, he never sleeps, he never slumbers, he never tires of listening to our prayer. When we are weak, he becomes stronger. So our father is alert day and night. And should we persist in bringing our prayers and petition? To him, then he will go, he's going to answer us. If this cracky kind of friend would wake up from his bed and answer the call of a friend in need, how much more will our heavenly Father answer us when we pray? So Jesus goes on to tell them, you know, after giving them this uh, illustration, he, he gives the application by telling them, you go on seeking and asking and knocking and it will be open to you. 
I love the way uh, the Amplified Bible puts it. It says, so I say to you, ask and keep on asking, and it will be given to you. Seek and keep on seeking, and you will find. Knock and keep on knocking, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who keeps on asking receives, and he who keeps on seeking finds. And to him who keeps on knocking, the door will be opened. Here, God is talking about persisting in your action, persisting in knocking, persisting in seeking, persisting in asking. Whoever does that will surely receive. But honestly speaking, that is besides the experience that we have in prayer. Because so many a times we ask and we don't receive. So many a times we knock and the door remains shut. So many a times we, 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 we seek God or we seem to seek God so diligently, but he, he is far away from us. It's like we can't reach him. Reading the books of, of Psalm, it is a whole lamentation of a man in despair, a man in, in, in kind of need, praying out, crying out and asking, surely where are you, God? But that is the reality. That is what so many of you have gone through or are in through at the moment. Because you have asked, but you have not received yet. And then the question comes, if God is like a loving parent who desires to give what is good and life-giving, why do so many prayers go unanswered? And in the world that we live in, Christians are sometimes so quick to explain that away. Sometimes we are told, oh, because your request is not good enough, God said no. Someone, some other people say, okay, because God is so wise in his wisdom, he has realized that whatever it is that you are asking is not right, so he has put it on hold for the moment. But this explanation cannot account for many cases in our request that we pray in the will of God, we pray in the desire of God. He says that his will and desire is for all to come to salvation and all to come to repentance. But there are some who have been praying for their loved ones for years and years to get saved, but they are yet to get saved. So surely that explanation wouldn't hold water. It is his desire and heart for hunger and disease and wars to cease. But we see hunger persisting, children dying. We see wars raging all over the world. What is going on? Another explanation given to the problem of finance and prayer is everything happens for a reason. And God somehow is causing this to happen for the greater good. But if we believe that God can bring, we we do believe actually that God can bring good out of evil. But it is hard to contemplate that this loving, kind, good father would cause evil to come our way. So what, can, what then can we say for those unanswered prayers? I would like to say that it is good to take caution and say that we shouldn't be quick to speak or to answer these questions. However, what we can do to those people who are in that situation, what we can do for ourselves if we're in that situation is just affirm what the scripture says. 
We can hold our faith and our hope and our aspiration on what the word of God says because that is the truth. And his word tells us that in all things, God will work for good. He did not cause that trouble that is in your way. There are other forces and powers in the universe that are under operation that are yet to come under God's feet because the time is not yet come. But God is going to work out through those situations, through those circumstances, to bring the better good in your life. And that is what we can affirm in our lives. We can also affirm in our lives, as, as Paul writes to the Philippians, that we, we rejoice in the midst of these troubles, in the midst of these trials. We can rejoice. We can hold on to our faith. He tells them that, you know, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, with prayer and supplication, let your requests be known to God. And that is what we can tell people. You keep asking, as Jesus would later say in this text. You keep asking. You keep saying, I don't know when you're going to answer me, God. Okay, keep asking. I don't know when you're going to open that door. Okay, keep knocking. I don't know when I'm going to find you. Oh, keep seeking. Then leave the times to him. Because as sure as he says, regardless, whatever you are going through, persist in prayer and God is going to answer you. I agree with Martin Lloyd-Jones when he writes these words. The importance of the elements of persistence cannot be exaggerated. You find it not only in biblical teaching, but also in the lives of all the saints. The most fatal thing in the Christian life is to be content with passing desires. If we really want to be men of God, if we really want to know him and walk with him, and experience those boundless blessings which he has to offer us, we must persist in asking him for them day by day. We have to feel this hunger and this thirst for righteousness that then we, we, and then we shall be filled. And that does not mean that we are filled once and for all. We go on hungering and thirsting. It is the persistence, the boldness, shameless persistence that will get us to where God wants us to be. But bear in mind that this is not boldness, persistence for material things. Because Christ will explain later and say that, you know, how much more will the Father give the Spirit to those who ask? So this is not material things that he is talking about, but spiritual things that we have to boldly, persistently ask our Heavenly Father. So the second thing I want to talk about is approaching God with trust as his children, knowing that if it is for our spiritual good, the Father will give it. So Jesus changes the picture and talks about a loving Father who, need, who meets the needs of his children then concludes on how the heavenly father will meet our needs. Now the heavenly father invites us to pray by telling us, seek, knock, and ask. He makes promises to us by saying that if we continue on asking, if we continue on seeking, we are going to receive. 
Then he makes himself available to us by promising that he will be there. He is going to hear when we ask. And then he promises this to everybody that everybody will receive. Everybody who asks, everybody who seeks, everybody who knocks. And he is available and not timid in any way to run away when we call upon his name. So when Jesus gives this illustration, he gives this illustration of how can a father give his child a snake in the place of a fish or a scorpion in the place of an egg. Now Jesus is talking about a tricky father here because a scorpion folded together will look like an egg. So which father will give this folded scorpion and trick their child This is an egg only for the scorpion to bite them. Which father, if you go down in the bottom of the sea, there are these other fishes that look like a snake. So which father will give a child a snake and lie to them that this is just one of those snakey fish? Jesus says that it is impossible for a father to do that. Yet, he recognizes that we are evil. He recognizes that we have failed. But he says that even in our failed state, no father will be able to do that. Dave gave an example last week about how his son really loves cake. Now, all he would have desired is just to give him cake because he loves it. But because he knows that cake is not good for him, he don't allow him just to eat cake. And you know, gifts are good. And parents, especially in this culture, when I came to this culture, I just came to another culture that is not in my culture where I came from, which is the culture of gifts. Because we have gifts, but not gifts as you know them, <laughs> gifts. <laughs> Two ladies, retirees actually, were conversing, grand- grandmas, and one was saying, I can't, I, I can't believe my grandchildren. They just come to see me on their birthdays and on Christmas. And the only thing that they come to do is collect their check. The other one told her, I found medicine for that years ago. And she was like, what is is the, the medicine? And she told them, I always give them a check on their birthday and Christmas, but I never sign it. (laughs) so a few days later they will come back for the signature (laughs) and then I'll make them spend time with me before I can sign that check but that is just the culture of the West we like pampering our children with gifts we like spoiling them with gifts as I told you uh, my, my parents had 19 children and I, I, just, I just can't fathom if I was living in the culture of gifts, like the Western world. I, I can't imagine the burden that that would have been to my parents. Just imagine 19 birthdays and 19 Christmas presents. That would have been tough. But my parents taught, 
taught us, you know, the gift of family, the gift of being there, the gift of sharing. So, you know, they would buy a few clothes to the older ones. Then as, as they wear them, as they become short, you know, they pass them on. And, you know, you receive it with thanks. You know, my brother has given me a shirt. My sister has given me a dress. And it was such a great time receiving this gift. And it has taught me a lot in my life. But we know how to give good gifts to our children. So Jesus says, how much more will our heavenly father give for those that seek after him? In parallel, in, in Matthew 7, 11, Jesus talked generally about God giving us, those who love him, what is good for those who, who ask him. And here in the Gospel of Luke, Luke specifies that that is the Holy Spirit that God wants to give us. But then I was just thinking, there is this dance going on in the scripture. It's a very beautiful dance. It starts from creation whereby the God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are together as one, creating the world. Then God goes on to talk about this promise of a Messiah coming through prophecies with Isaiah and other prophets. And there is an anticipation being built up for this Messiah, the Son of God, coming into the earth. But then the Son of God comes. Before he comes, the news are brought by the Holy Spirit to Mary. And then Jesus is born. And God demonstrates by his Spirit that this is the affirmation, this is the son, by the stars, by the wise men, by the herdsmen, he confirms that this is the son. And then the son comes up. He grows up like an ordinary man. And then 30 years later, he starts his ministry. And God confirms again by his spirit that this is my son of whom I love and delight in. But then the son starts his ministry. But then when the son starts his ministry, everybody would have thought the son would have said, yes, here I am. I am the guy. I am on the stage. Here I am, the one that all the prophets have been speaking about. But the son comes and he doesn't speak about himself. The son starts speaking about the father and drawing everybody to the father. He heals someone and says, give glory to God. He, he, he tells people, the Father is greater than I. Pray to the Father. Ask the Father. And you wonder, what is going on here? I thought the Son is the real deal. Why is the Son drawing us to the Father? And even his friend, who didn't recognize him, uh, John, who, who had made a way for him, sends messengers and asked them, can, can we ask who, if you are the one that was was prophesied, or should we look for someone else? Because John was confused. What is going on here? Is this the one? Because he's not speaking about himself. And Jesus doesn't even say, okay, tell John, my friend, my cousin, I am the one. He tells him, you tell him, the father's work is being done. Demons are being, uh, people are being delivered from demons. The gospel is being preached. People are being healed. 
And then Jesus goes and he says, I am going away, but I'm going to send you another helper. What's going on? We thought, Jesus, you are the deal. You are the main thing. Now, who are you going to send us again? And then he goes and he sends the spirit. And then the spirit comes. And then the spirit, we think, oh, the spirit is going to be the main thing. And then the spirit doesn't speak of himself. He starts drawing us to Jesus. You look at Jesus. You look at Jesus. And there is this beautiful dance going on between the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Everyone is kind of drawing us to each other. And they are, they are just kind of choreographing and loving each other. But wait. There is an interesting part to it. Jesus says, How much more will the Heavenly Father Give the spirit to those that asks. It's like this dance that the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit are doing. God is saying, I want you in. I want you into that dance. I want you in there dancing with the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And this is the scope of what Jesus is telling. He's telling them that it is not the material things. It is not, you know, your desires and aspirations. It is my spirit that I want to release to you so that I can engrave you into this dance that I'm dancing with the Father and the Holy Spirit. And there are relations here that we can relate there is the presence of the Holy Spirit, which each one of us who is a believer, you have the Holy Spirit. No doubt about it. When you put your faith and trust in Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit. Because Paul in Romans says that the, the, the realm of the flesh, we are in the realm of the flesh, but not in the realm of it. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not, they do not belong to Christ. So if you have put your faith in Christ, you have the spirit of Christ. But what Jesus is asking here is not just that spirit that you have as a believer. He's asking for the activity of the spirit, the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit that will enable you for mission. The Holy Spirit that will empower you to operate in the realms and the giftings that God has given you. Because the presence of the Spirit enables you to walk in the fruits of the Spirit. That is love, faith, joy, righteousness, and self-control. When you have the Spirit of Christ, you can boldly walk into those fruits. But you, for you to operate now in the gifts of the Holy Spirit, you need another anointing of the Holy Spirit. You need now the activity of the Holy Spirit. And that is what Jesus is desiring for us to be able to ask. He's saying, ask of me, of this Spirit that will empower you now to operate in the giftings that I have given you. Because once we receive that Spirit our prayers will be much, much more clearer and better and relieving than the strain that we have in our prayers. Because we will pray from the abundance of the Spirit. We will pray as the Father desires. We will pray as Jesus himself 
would have prayed when, if he would have been here. So I want to encourage you to hunger for this spirit. To desire this Holy Spirit. To ask the Father who, who freely gives. He says that if you ask, I will give. If you knock, I will open. A child walking into the house can call the Father. If they don't hear the Father, they will go around into rooms looking for the Father. And they will find that is seeking. If they find the dad in the room, they're going to knock on the door and want the attention of the father. And the father is going to open the door for them. So we need to ask. We need to seek. And we need to knock. And this takes us back to the beginning when Jesus is teaching the Lord's Prayer. And he's talking about our heavenly father. He is our heavenly father. He is our dad. Our heavenly father is greater than our earthly father. And his desires for us, aspirations for us, ambitions for us are far much outweighs what our earthly fathers can offer. And so Lloyd Martin Jones again says, this is one of our main troubles. It is not, if you should ask me, to state in one phrase what I regard as the greatest defect in most Christian life. I would say that it is our failure to know God as our Father, as we should know him. Ah, yes, we say we do know that and believe it. But do we know it in our daily life and living? It is something of which we are always conscious. If only we got a hold of this, we could smile in the face of every possibility and eventuality that lies ahead of us. When we pray to the Father, we receive more and more. When we call upon the Father, when we know who our Father is, we have the strongest foundation that we can stand upon to call upon his name. And he will surely answer us. It's like the story of a young boy. The dad had spent several minutes dancing for him in his bedroom, singing for him all sorts of songs, reading for him. And every time he would go on finishing, the boy would go, again, 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 dad, again, again. And the dad would do it again and do it again. Then after several minutes, the dad said, all right, son, time for bed. You have to sleep. So he laid the son down, blanket and kiss, and then went downstairs. He rested in his chair, tired from the day. Just as he was relaxing, he hears his son calling, Dad, can you please bring me a cup of water? The dad said, Son, time for bed, sleep. Silence. A few minutes later, the son calls again, Dad, can I please have a glass of water? The dad said, I told you to sleep, son. Silence. The third time, Dad, can I please have a glass of water? The son says, Don't make me come there. <laughs> sleep, son. I said you sleep. Silence. Dad, 
Can I please have a cup of water? The dad said, son, if you are not going to shut up, I'm coming up there and I'm going to spank you. Then dead silence. The dad is smiling for himself with a twinkle in his eyes. That has done it. A few minutes later, daddy, when you come to spank me, (laughs) would you please bring me a cup of water? Then the dad realizes that, oh, my son is actually thirsty. (laughs) So he takes the cup of water. This son, he knew who his dad was. And that is the relationship that God wants to have with you. Regardless of your experience that shouts in your face, I can't trust God because ABCD has happened. I can't trust God because... I prayed for this and I haven't received it. I can't trust God because such and such a thing has happened. If you knew who your dad was, that will not deter you from reaching out to him. And that is the daddy that he desires to be to you. If only you would be that child that he would desire for you to be. Shall we stand? I just want to invite you to really put your focus on God at this moment. Because we've, we've all had different experiences and different situations in our lives that sometimes it's hard. It's hard. But I want you to invite you now just to look at God as your father. To really look at you how he looks, to look at him how he looks at you, in how he loves you, how he has demonstrated that love to you. And how he is beseeching you this, this hour, just, just seek of me, ask of me, knock on my door, and see if I won't answer. And I just want you to invite you just to ask, to ask the Holy Spirit to come. The Holy Spirit that he has promised you, he has promised you, definitely he will send the Holy Spirit if you ask. Now at this point, some always are quick to say, okay, I've already been filled with the Holy Spirit. I I really don't need this. But this is a different kind of feeling that Jesus is talking about. It's not one feeling and then that is satisfying. You know, Jesus talked about rivers of living water flowing from the source. And he desires us to keep on asking and asking and asking of this Holy Spirit in every situation, every day of our life, to continue being filled and filled and filled. Because if a river is overflowing or if a glass is overflowing, there is no amount of water that can make that to be full. It will just keep flowing and flowing to others. So I invite you just to hold your hands out and just invite him in. And I'm going to pray. And I just want you to spend a few minutes. Just allow yourself just to know this God who really loves you.
to know this God who delights in you, regardless of your experience. This, this is nothing to do with your experience at this time. It is just fresh revelation for you, just to see God for who he is this day. 